wider than I last was. If I fall off the stage, I apologize. <sighs> okay, so <laughs> just before I got up here, lovely Pastor Rick said to me, I hope you're, I, let's try that again. Are you ready for tonight? Hope it's good because, you know, you speak it to the cameras and people out of the world and, you know, no pressure or anything like that. But for those of you who are watching at home, um, I've heard that the camera adds 10 pounds. I'm also growing 10 pounds, so maybe just put it on widescreen for now. Um, I actually get to do something a little bit fun, a little bit easy, something I am passionate about. Um, but the last few weeks, we've heard some really intense things. Whose brain is on fire? Like, and I say it not like fire as in passion, it's fire as in I have, my it hurts. Just me? Cool. I'm so glad I'm the only one that has no idea what's going on. Um, <laughs> I'm someone who doesn't necessarily strive to find the theology behind things, but I am a person who wants to live by the theology of what we're trying to teach. So I'm going to bring a bit of a practical aspect of this because I find that the more I dive into what I'm trying to learn about, the more I can actually represent this in my life. So I encourage you tonight, don't allow the last, I think it's five weeks, that we have had to just go over your head if you don't understand it, because that's me. I'm, I'm not a person who likes to learn. Um, don't let it go over your head. Ask the questions. Like they were saying, ask the questions. There's no dumb questions. And I guarantee if there are dumb questions, I've probably already asked Jesse them anyway so that he can actually bring the teaching that he needs to bring with my dumb questions in mind. So tonight, I get to speak on, so am I saved or like what? Now, I don't get to see these slides, so this is the first time I'm seeing it and it's alongside with you. But, you know, how, how is it that I know that I'm a part of God's family? How do I know? <laughs> I'm going to do this first, I think. I have asked three people, sorry, Harry, you're going to have to get up again, um, to come up on stage for me. Um, I need my Harry, I need my Jake, and I need my Ellie, please. Can you just come on up, guys? Stand, stand on the stage wherever you're visible to the camera, I'm not sure. But I'm going to give you a couple of scenarios, and my friends here are going to be the face of these scenarios, even, this is, even though this has absolutely nothing to do with their personalities. Who's our first person in the slides? Harry Mack. <laughs> this month, friend, is not Harry Mack. This is actually Pablo. His name is Pablo Escobar. He has a full name, but I can't say the rest of it, so that's what you're going to be called. Um, you were born a very long time ago. You were one, oh, sorry, you were one of seven children. Um, your father was a farmer, and his name was Abel, and he was married to Hilda. But as a teenager, you used to have this habit of stealing gravestones, sending them back, and then reselling them. Now, you had an awesome brother, no, brother though. His name was Roberto. These are actually true facts. These are names are just perfectly placed. Um, but he denies that. He says that, no, that's not, that's, he didn't steal the gravestones from people. Um, he, uh, what did he do? Oh, he came and collected the ones of the people who stopped um, paying for their site. So he repurposed them. You have a really, where are you? You have a really good brother. 
um, later on in his life, um, he kept doing things. He, uh, he learnt some things from his dad who, good old Abel, decided, you know, to do some counterfeit diplomas for his family. Um, and then, as he grew older, after learning from his dad, he eventually became involved in many criminal activities with his old mate Oscar and ended up running some petty street scams, um, selling cigarettes, fake lottery tickets and all this kind of stuff. But then, you know, good old Pablo became, <laughs> had a goal in mind of getting a thousand, not a thousand, a million dollars by the time he was 22 and he was a bit of an overachiever and got three. And he did that by becoming a very well-known drug lord. So that is Pablo. <laughs> Who is our next candidate here we have? Oh, <laughs> it's our Jake. <laughs> I wrote brain here. It's not brain, it's Brian. This is Brian Kelly. Good old Brian Kelly <laughs> is, in a, is a lead singer in a band called Florida Georgia Line. Now, Brian Kelly, yep, Brian Kelly, um, and w along with his wife, decided that after Hurricane Michael happened, that he would, um, he would get together and try and do a relief program for the people that were going through there. He volunteered his time. Um, and when that didn't quite do enough, he posted a video onto Instagram telling people to give and he was able to raise uh, $46,000 for this charity. So that's our, our good mate Brian Kelly over here. And our lucky last, <laughs> I'm so sorry, Eleanor. <laughs> that's you, that's you, that's you. Your actual name is Emmeline. Emmy, Emmeline, Emmeline. I don't know, her name is Emmeline Pankhurst. Now Emmeline Pankhurst was a little bit of a, how you going? She was a bit of a feminist. Okay, that wasn't meant to be like feminist, how you going? It was more like she was a goodie and a baddie at the same time. Um, she was the founding member of a woman group called Suffragettes. I'm <laughs> See, clearly she's real. Yep, she was a part of that group who fought incredibly hard to get women's rights to vote in the UK. They often use violent and extreme tactics to do this and Emmeline was no stranger to prison or the cell, and this, and in World War I, when it broke out, uh, she was recognised that she could help with the war effort. She encouraged other female people in that group to do the same. And when the men went away fighting in the war, many women, like Emmeline, took on jobs that men would traditionally, traditionally do, and it earned her a lot of respect. In hindsight, it ended up bringing in a law that women could vote. So thank you, Emmeline. Now, just a curiosity, show of hands. Put your hands up if you think you know which one of these people are going to go to heaven. It's just a game, guys. You don't have to be silent. Like, Pablo's going to heaven. Emmeline's going to heaven. Any other guesses? Not the guy who donated $46,000 and did nothing wrong in his life? Give it to the two criminals. Yeah, that's the grand idea. Can I just have my uh, three-face photo up there? My, I'll call you my dream team. Is it up there? There we go. Let's have a guess. Is it one, two, or three? What are we going to do? I don't, 
they're in complete opposite order, but pretend. <laughs> number three, my Lord, number three. Nah, all right, you can hop down because no one wants to play, so that's fine. All right, we're just gonna say, I'm just gonna let you all down and say no one's gonna win because none of them did. Because <gasps> none of them knew Jesus. They were, none of them were Christians. So thank you, team, for that, for letting me embarrass you like that. <laughs> um, also, if you would like that as your new profile picture, just speak to Nicola. Maybe not yours, Harry, because you're holding a bag of drugs. <laughs> Maybe don't do that. <laughs> He's genuinely holding a bag of drugs. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but tonight I actually get to talk to you on how we actually know if these people went to heaven or not. Now, ideally, we probably don't know. We ourselves won't know, but God knows, obviously. But I actually get to talk to you tonight about the story, an incredible love story. You know, that I just want to, I'm just going to say, I'm pregnant, so my brain is not functioning. So if I say something extremely random and keep moving, just allow me to do it. And I am gonna look at my notes a bit because I can't keep a thought pattern happening. So, <laughs> let's take a breather. <sighs> so we have a beautiful love story um, that we get forgiveness for all of our sins. We get to go into a relationship with God and have eternal life with Him through our faith in Jesus. And you know, just the last few weeks, we've been speaking about how, how God designed us to have a relationship with Him. And that is something that He designed us with in mind. And to understand that, it's really, really quite simple. So Romans 10, 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised you, or raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if that's all that requires you to be saved, I'm done. You don't really need to hear anymore, right? But this word is so beautifully simple that it can very easily be overlooked. But something I have learnt that is if you, if you zoom in just a little bit, then you learn a little bit more. And if you keep zooming in and you keep looking, then you're gonna keep learning. So I'm hoping that tonight you can jump on board with me and help me look a little bit closer on this. Is that okay? So you may be asking these kind of questions where you look at this verse and you go, what does it actually mean you know, to confess with your mouth? Or you know, what is it exactly that I'm being saved from? And is that really all I have to do? Like it just seems too simple. But to, you know, fully understand what it is that we, to be saved or, you know, what it is we are being saved from, we actually first have to talk about what is sin. So my first point tonight is what is sin? Obviously, I've just said it. But sin is actually more of a Christian, Christian saying. And as people of the world don't go around going, I'm just gonna go over here and sin. Like they don't do that. That's not what they kind of do. It's not a word that is used by worldly people. It's a Christianism in a sense. Um, but what it more is, is sinning is like a moral wrongdoing within yourself or outwardly from yourself. So it can happen internally. You can have a, mon a moral 
wrongdoing internally, which is things like holding unforgiveness, um, having disgusting thoughts. Now, not just thoughts, something that ponders in your mind and it's something that is constantly working in your head. You know, you can have um, hatred towards someone or bitterness or things like that, but that um, it still comes from a place of an internal moral wrongdoing or a sin. That's what we define it as. But then you also have the very obvious external wrongdoings. So they're things like lying and cheating and, you know, killing, adultery, those things that are very obviously in your face. But in Romans 3, verse 10, I've highlighted this, but in a really dark color, so that was silly. It says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now this verse really hits people because, you know, we walk around thinking, you know, no, I'm good. I don't need saving because I'm a good person. You know, I choose to do the right thing and I think I have a personal testimony that a lot of the times I say is boring, but it's my story, so it's not. But I didn't come from a a yucky past. I grew up with a very happy family. Um, Quite lucky I didn't know God until I was 17. But even before that, I still didn't choose to do the wrong things. I was school captain. I hated being in trouble, so I always chose to do the right thing. And, you know, I went, walked through this journey of, well, I'm fine. I don't need saving. I'm a good person. I volunteer at school to help make the school look better. And, you know, I volunteer at soup kitchens. I I give to the poor. I do things like this. And I'm not saying that every single thing that we do in our everyday life is wicked and evil. But we actually do have to look back and actually see the bad things that we are doing. Romans 3.23, it says, all have sin and fall short of the glory of God. What this means is that my behavior or my, you know, my wicked doings or my moral, you know, what I just said before, um, are being compared to something. They have to be compared to something. And in this something, it's actually the glory of God. So I often walk around this world without even thinking of who I'm actually comparing myself to. Because if you do, if you look around and you go, well, hang on a second, I'm doing all these good things, but old mate over there, old mate Pablo, who's a drug dealer, he's doing it heaps worse than I am. He is off the charts. He's still in people's gravestones. Um, I was gonna say Ellie, but Emmeline, is beating people to try and get her point across and things like that. When I'm comparing myself to them, I'm, in comparison, a good person, ideally. Do you agree with that? No? Cool. (laughs) Face mask makes everybody quiet. Um, But that's not what the Bible's actually teaching us. The Bible isn't comparing us to people of this world. It's not comparing us to our peers or our our neighbours or the people next to us. It's actually comparing us to the glory 
of God, and that is faultless. That is absolutely flawless in its being. So we often go through life thinking that I'm so good, but then when we actually look over our shoulder, the person or the being that I'm being compared to is Jesus. And he is perfection. And then you look at me and you go, I don't even come close. I fall short of the glory of God. 100%. We don't need to go over the fact of what our consequences are because we've spent the last few weeks talking about what the consequences of sin is. We've seen it through the sons of God and you know, watching our world fall apart because of the things that we're doing. One of the biggest... I lost my spot, hang on. One of the biggest things that we need to talk about is because of this, we've actually lost and broken our relationship with God. He gave us a choice to be in relationship with Him and unfortunately, we fall short in this world and we lost the chance to be that, to have that. We lost our relationship with God. It's one of the last things in the bubble that we talked about when we talk about the fall, or one of the first, I think it was the first one, that we lost our relationship with God. But again, I keep telling you, this is a good news story. I get to speak about the good news. And the good news is that God wants to be in relationship with us. That was his plan A. And we've heard over and over again that he didn't have a plan B. He doesn't have a plan B. His plan A was to be in relationship with us. And of course, God has made a way for that, for us to be able to get back into relationship with him, right? So now we kind of think about, you know, okay, I understand, you know, what sin is now, but, you know, what am I being saved from? Like, I know I need, okay, I probably need saving, but why do I need saving? What is, what do I being saved from? And Romans 6, 23 for the wage of, wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the wages or what I have earned from my sin is death. But not just death, like a, a, a separation from our God and a separation from an eternal life with him. Or like we have a separation from God, which is hell. An eternal life without him, hell. We have a great need for things in our life, but my goodness isn't gonna cover it. We've already failed this test of goodness and we're already walking in this. I'm just gonna quickly go on a bit of a side note. There is a meme that's gonna come up here. A lot of people look at this and relate to it. They're like, yeah, I'm totally just gonna be like, woo, hey, hell, here I am. Um, they have a belief that it's kind of just like a lesser version of what heaven is. And you know, you know, you just go down, I'm just, oh, it's all right, I'm good where I am, I'm just gonna go to hell and spend eternity partying and doing stuff with my mates who are gonna be there too. I'd much rather be there with my mates. But I'm gonna give you a real hardcore reality check right now. Re Revelations 21.8 but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually 
immoral, those who practice magic arts, the, I keep saying this wrong. Thank you, if anyone didn't hear that, ask Jesse. And all liars, they will be consigned to the fury lake and burning sulfur. This is a second death. This is a place that God created back in Genesis 6 for those who spiritually rebelled against him. But it's also a place for the destination of anybody who is not standing right with God. This is, it's a place of fire, of suffering, destruction, devastation, enormous pain, loneliness, death. It says here that it's a second death. I don't want to die the first time, let alone another time. And this is just a thought pattern, but you know, if it's eternal life without God, then it's not just our death. Don't take this as fact. This is just my thought pattern. It's not just our death. This is going to happen over and over and over and over again. And there is no ending to that. It's eternity without God. You are going to feel this forever. Like there's no ending to eternity that I know of. We might find out later. But as we know, again, this isn't the end of the story. God gave us a way to get back to him. He gave us Jesus. He he gave us a way back into eternal life with him. Although when we, you know, hear about Jesus, we often think of, you know, the cookie cutter, kindy version. But what we forget is that we often grow up with that cookie cutter, kindy version. um, And our mindset of what is Jesus doesn't change too much. You know, it actually creates confusion in our head of, of Jesus and why he died on the cross. Why is it that he died for mistakes? Why is it that he's dying for my own sin or my own moral wrongdoing? Why is it that it had to happen? But Jesus stated that it had to happen. But what was its purpose? Uh, You know, we learned about Israel and God's people last week and when we heard about how God um, promised to rule over them, and help them and instruct them and, you know, do all those kind of things. But what you don't realise is that they didn't mean they didn't make mistakes. Like God corrects them and teaches them and um, doing all the things. And so you hear about the Old Testament laws and how as Christians, you know, we, we now don't live under these rules or these laws today, but we learn from them. God has made it so, you know, maybe a lamb or the firstborn or, you know, things like that are brought to him in, as an offering or a sacrifice. They're brought to him on behalf of the people that are offering it. These sacrifices were made to God and they were basically a demonstration of what Jesus was about to come and do for us. It was an example He wanted to show you what was about to happen. He wanted people to be able to fathom what's happening. So then Jesus comes, he shows up as the only true, perfect, good person, and then he dies sacrificially. That's kind of, we just hear that, we think about it like that. But I think that this is the part of the cross that Jesus, I mean, that people really don't understand. So when I say that Jesus died on the cross, We mean that he died sacrificially in my place. 
just like those, you know, they got sacrificed and they killed in the place of the people who were putting the offering out or the offerer, they were dying in place of that. He also, he says that he has come as a sacrifice in my place. And Jesus even says this himself, Matthew 20, 26, 28. For this is my blood and the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is where we hear that Jesus is trying to picture the Old Testament law and the sacrifices that was happening with what just happened. He's going to the cross and pouring out his blood like they do with the offerings and the sacrifices to make a covenant for forgiveness and of sin, but a covenant is just kind of like a contract. It's like God's way of saying, here's the deal. I'm gonna die for you and your sins so that you can be forgiven. You can have a way to get back to me. And then three days later, he rises again from the dead to show the victory. It's proof that he succeeded in what he was doing and the task that he was set out to do. And when he died and came back, it's proof that it was real, that the eternal life and the promise that God has made to you is real. It was the victory. He had to come back to show you that what he said before he died about having a relationship with God was real. And that's how we get John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But the word so is often misunderstood as like, so much, I love you so much. Or, you know, I loved you like a lot. That kind of thing. But it's actually not, it's a direction. He loved you in this way. In a way that meant that he gave us his son. I loved you so much that I gave you my son and This is God's ultimate rescue mission. He did this for us in such a way. A way for his people to get home to him. I can feel my cheeks on fire. (laughs) They're like real cute rosy circles. It's a way for him to get back. It's a way for us to get back to him. Because he wants to have a relationship with us and he wants us to choose a relationship with him. So he made the way. Hebrews 14, 16. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of the grace, throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now this beautiful verse actually connects the Old Testament with everything and the idea about it. Even though I'm a sinner and I have my own personal moral wrongdoing, I can come with confidence to God, who in other cases is usually the judge. But instead of judging me, I I actually get to say, no, 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 Jesus has saved me. I come from your grace, grace, which means that I get what I don't deserve. I get to be washed clean and forgiven. This is why we worship. We are so thankful, it's an action 
You know, my heart is so grateful that God loved me in this way, even at my worst. I went against everything he wanted and everything in my everyday life, but he still chose to love me. I deserve to pay the price for what I have done in my life and for the sins that I have done or my own moral wrongdoing, just as you, but I don't have to because he has instead. So if we finally understand kind of that concept, what do we do now? That's my next point. What do I do now? So then we, again, we have to go back to Romans 10 where it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, I say this every time, raised you from the dead, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If we are told that we need to believe in our hearts, what it means and genuinely means is that we believe that he rose from the grave three days after. Those are two, I did. <laughs> Just realized that I was holding this finger and I was like, oh, hang on, that's not right. <laughs> We've already spoken about why this is true. But do you truly believe in your heart that he rose from the dead after three days? There is a Greek word. I'm so sorry if I say this wrong. I tried to write it out so I know how to say it. Pastivo. It's the Greek word for believe, pastivo. Pastor Judy, you can correct me later. <laughs> but what this means is it doesn't just mean believe, it means trust or to entrust or to rely on. So I'm not just believing, you know, that God rose. I'm actually trusting and relying on the fact that he did. That, you know, the steps that we need to take, I actually have to choose to trust the fact and rely on the fact that God has actually done this for us and that it is true. But then there's other, the other part about confessing, you know, confessing with a mouth. That doesn't mean you can just go around and go, yeah, Jesus is God, I'm good, I'm going to heaven. It's not as simple as that. It's just like the word, I'm gonna say it so wrong, pastivo. I'm gonna say it again, it's okay. It's, it's, a, it's a whole other meaning, confessing with your mouth. What's the word? There it is. And it, it's not just your confession, it's that you're truly believing in your heart that this person, Jesus, is the Son of God and that He is your Lord. It's like a title, like a boss, like I'm your boss, or you know, I'm the king of your, I'm not the king, but like the king of your life. He is the king of your life and I'm yielding to that. This is how we also get the word repentance. Repentance doesn't mean that you're never gonna fail again because you can see that in the Old Testament, they failed again and again, or that you never sin again. It's just that you have this, what, the way you were living apart from God is now changed because you've decided that you're going to go against that lifestyle and move towards God. You turn, you're deciding to come underneath the authority of God You've decided to live the way or you believe and entrust yourself and how you currently live your life, you're giving that to God and saying, no, I'm living it for you instead. 
So when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, now I just wanna have a quick side conversation again. That the idea of good works um, the idea of good works or something that you know that you feel like you need to, to do to get to God, you feel like you need to do some things in your life before you can accept God, that actually comes after you are saved, not before. You don't have to do anything to earn the approval or God's favour. All you have to do is accept Him. Literally, all that you need to do is to be a sinner. It's the only criteria. You need to be a sinner who has decided to turn to Jesus. End of story. You do not need to do anything to earn what God has given us. It's called grace. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is a gift of God. Not a result of works, no one, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmen created in Christ for good works, <laughs> for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. By grace means you didn't earn it. You got saved through faith and just believing. It doesn't matter how many times we say this, people still think that you have to do something to get this. You don't. Luke 18 roughly talks about, you know, this man, I'm not gonna, it's gonna be up there, but I'm just gonna skim over it quickly. Basically talking about, you know, two people coming, a, a Pharisee, the Pharisees and the, a tax collector and one standing there going, ooh, you know, look at me, look at me. I'm so glad I'm not that guy. And the other guy's, you know, fallen down with his hand. He's like, oh, you know, God have mercy to me a sinner, that man went away justified rather than the other. For, I love this, this should be a quote somewhere. For everybody who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This story shows us that Jesus doesn't really want to receive the people who don't want him. He wants to receive those people he doesn't, want, he doesn't want to receive the people that think they're righteous or that think they don't need him because they're actually not honestly looking at what they're doing with their life and the sin in their life. He wants people who humbly say, I need mercy, God. I need grace. I need you. That brings us to this. What happens now that we are saved? What happens? 1 John 3, 1. I might actually get the band up if that's okay. Can I get you guys back up? See what kind of love the Father has given so that we could be called children of God. And so we are. This is the result of turning your faith to Jesus. You believe in your heart and you rely on it. You make him Lord and say that he is Lord and you mean it. When you do this, you become a child of God. 
we are a part of God's family. We belong to him and he belongs with us. We are forever in his family. What more of a loving relationship can we have than him, with him than as his child? Now, I know that this sometimes is a really, really hard concept for people to grab because maybe you're out there and you're one of those people that haven't had a family who's done what they should have done. Maybe, you know, mum and dad aren't around or, you know, I, I don't know, you come from a broken world. I am a chaplain in a school and the amount of times that I sit there and try so hard not to cry because I'm looking at these beautiful little babies who are broken because they don't have that idea of what family should be or look like or what it looks like to be a child of God. And all I wanna do as a mum myself is just wrap my arms around those babies and give them the love that they need. But I can't because I'm also gonna let them down because I'm human. That's, that's how God created me to be. He didn't create me to be Him. He created me to be like Him. God is the family that you long for. Trust me. He's the family that we so, is so desperately waiting for you to come home, to be a part of that family. Not only do we get to become a, a part of God's family, but we also get to get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And this is where we get the phrase born again not because you literally have become a little baby again, but because you have been given new life with Holy Spirit. God Himself joins His life with mine, with ours, and we become a new person. 1 Corinthians tells us that if any man is in Christ, then he is a new creation. We're new. Titus 5, 3, 5, He saved us not because of works done by us, in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by washing, by the washing, gosh, this is, I don't know why I'm having a struggle, but the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Well, that was a tongue twister. This is how he saves us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. When you give your life to God, he then fills you with the Holy Spirit, which causes a new life to happen within you. Again, just a quick side note, I was also asked whether or not being water baptised or not being water baptised keeps you from getting to heaven. Now, hopefully I've answered that already. But if not, the answer is well, no. But I do not want to undermine the power that it has for you. Being water baptised in our church is actually a really amazing public declaration of you deciding to live your life with Jesus and as Him, as your Lord and Saviour. And we, as your church family, as your spiritual family, it's an amazing time for us to come around you, to love on you and to celebrate this decision that you have made. So if you actually don't know about water baptisms, go and talk to your leader. If you don't have a leader, go and talk to someone who looks like they know what they're doing and they will find someone who knows what they're doing and they can help you with that kind of stuff. And now that we have an eternal life 
and we understand the meaning that we are going to be living forever with God and His people in joy, in bliss, this was God's ultimate plan. This was His plan A. This story is so much bigger than the kindergarten version is in our mind. However, it's not more complicated and it's, not, it's just simple. Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He has raised you from the dead, you will be saved. Oh, again, I don't think I've got that one right once. Raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. The only thing left for you to do now is to make the choice. Will you make the act of turning from there to there? Declaring that He is your Lord and that you want to be in relationship with Him. He couldn't want you more. So tonight, I just feel like it's gonna be wrong if I don't allow you the opportunity to enter into this kind of relationship with Him. Do you believe, do you rely on the fact that God rose? Do you want to have that relationship with God and depend on it? You may be here for the first time or hearing this for the first time and this is something that you've never done. You may be hearing this for the one millionth time and it's still something that you haven't heard this version about. Maybe you are trying to do your good works to get there. Maybe you've already done it once and you feel like you've stepped away. He's, he's waiting to bring you home, to welcome you home. He's done that, He's made a way. We don't have to live in the world that has been explained to us. We don't have to live a part of that. We can be a part of His family. So as the band quickly play, plays, yeah, I wanna allow you some time to think on this, just quickly. And just see if you fit into one of those categories.